Mobile is the future. Use it to power up your profits. Welcome to Mobile Power and Profit, presented by Rumble. Our show focuses on the latest news and information impacting mobile marketers, publishers, and technologists. We speak with the power players of mobile monetization. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Mobile Power and Profit, presented by Rumble. Please welcome our host, Wen Tu. Welcome to Mobile Power and Profit, presented by Rumble. This is Wen Tu, Chief Revenue Officer and Co-Founder of Rumble, and I would like to welcome you to Mobile Power and Profit, the show that discusses the latest information impacting mobile marketers, publishers, and technologists. Each week, we will bring you insights from thought leaders in the mobile industry. This week, we are happy to introduce John Walsh, CEO and founder of Fusebox. John's been a gaming entrepreneur his entire career. In 2009, he founded Fuse Powered um, and published a number of hit mobile games. With that, it's my pleasure to welcome John Walsh to the show. Hi, John. Hi there. Thank you. So, John, um, gaming, mobile, you've been in the industry for a while now. Um, I'm sure one of your top priorities must be to help mobile developers and publishers monetize um, their player base. Um, what do you think um, are the key mobile monetization challenges um, that has been presented to developers and publishers lately? Well, that's a great question. I think, you know, probably the number one challenge right now is just the overall speed or, I guess, uh, abbreviated player life cycle in these mobile games. So I think, uh, you know, I published my first mobile game literally in 2009, you know, the old days. Um, and I think back then there were fewer games, fewer choices. And I think now the level of sophistication of the mobile gaming audience has evolved to the extent that publishers don't have very much time to engage their players and uh, get them really sort of into the game and having a great experience so that they're going to stick around and come back. And, and the second part of that, of course, is once you have these players engaged and playing, uh, you know, ultimately at some point, all these publishers have to generate revenue from these customers. And I think the level of sophistication required to do that has uh, gone up quite a bit over the last couple of years. So with, you know, the talk about the shorter life cycles of gaming apps, what, how long or what's the average life cycle that um, a gaming developer can expect their games to last in the market? Well, I think there's a couple sides to that. So the first aspect is player life cycles, right? And I think that's – so there's one thing is how long will your game, you know, have awareness in the general market? But um, – and that can vary depending on marketing budgets and the overall – general consumer reaction to the product and its rank in the store and how much it's favored by uh, the platform holders like Apple and Google in terms of features and things like that. But the, the secondary side of that is just the player life cycles. And I think that's the most critical side of the equation for publishers now. And, and I think just to give you a statistic, um, you know, we've got on our Fusebox platform, we're approaching half a billion installs and we collect a lot of data on these players. And in our system, with the publishers we're working with, the average percentage of players that download an app in one day and ever come back and engage with that app after that first day they've downloaded it is 50%. Wow. 
Wow. And that's actually that's actually very good. I think the typical metric we hear in the industry is about 40% day one retention, as that metric is called. So just putting that in perspective, if you have, you know, if your app gets downloaded by 100,000 players in a day, only 50,000 of those players that downloaded it in that given day are ever going to come back and play. So you lose half your audience in the first day. And that's a good statistic. So that gives you some sense of the overall life cycle of players. And I think any, you know, a typical metric beyond 30 days of player engagement is more like 10%. So only 10% of the people that ever download your game are still playing it after 30 days uh, since download. Wow. And you mentioned how, like, when you first started, there weren't as many choices in games. And now there, there seems to be sort of infinite choice out there. So if you're a gaming developer, are you trying to sort of be a short player life cycle type of model? Or do you think um, the model of um, the 10% that is retained after 30 days, um, you try to keep them as long as possible? What's sort of the winning balance there? You know, I think I think it comes down to uh, typical typical game publishing. I, I've kind of broken it into two main types of games. And there are those sort of casual, action-y type of games. We published one a few years ago called Jaws Revenge. Yep. And it's a, it's a one-finger tap. You know, you, your jaw, you're the shark, and you're, you're out there eating people, and it's a quick action game. And I think in that kind of game, you know, it doesn't have a very rich or deep economy, and it's sort of a pick-up-and-play casual game. And the, you know, the winning formula in, in the case of a game like that are many, many other games that are in the top 50 right now. Uh, like Crossy Road and things like that, is to have a large volume of players, yep. but you know players that don't play for a year, kind of thing, but get in and play it for a few minutes every day. Uh, you know, if you can get them engaged for a month or two before they move on to something else, I think that's great. The yep. other side uh, are these richer, deeper, more immersive games, like your Clash of Clans type of games, where players will literally keep them on their phone for months and months and months, or even years at a time. And, you know, those are typically smaller audience games. Clash of Clans is the exception, of course. But a lot of those games tend to get fewer players than the big, uh, you know, Candy Crush type games. Yep. But those players go on and monetize, get, get a lot more engaged in the game and are worth more money. So you sort of have high volume, low value games in terms of player lifetime value. And then you have lower volume, high value, high player value games. And that's sort of I think how the market's generally split. So you should you should know releasing a game which one of those categories you fall into as a general rule, and you know build a, a, a appropriate marketing and, and monetization strategy around that. Yeah. So as developers are getting more sophisticated in monetization, um, before they even have their idea on games, they should probably figure out if they're in that casual segment um, or the immersive segment. Um, what advice would you have of sort of the top things um, you would advise them from a monetization strategy if they chose um, to be in casual versus if they chose to be in their immersive segment? I think I think there's this sort of the same high level recommendations, but I, and which are uh, you know certainly on the casual side of things. You, I think it's critical that you put a lot more emphasis on advertising revenue. Um, you know, it's something we see often overlooked by publishers, and it's part of the reason we, we produce the product called Ad Rally to really help our publishing partners monetize uh, through ads. Of course, as we all know, there's only two ways that publishers uh, in the freemium 
mobile ecosystem make money, either from in-app purchases, which are players paying for additional content or experience in the game, or advertising, which are third-party advertisers paying to uh, create awareness within that publisher's game audience. So first thing, more casual games. I would say that you know, a good casual game is probably generating 70 plus percent of its revenue from advertising. So if you feel like you have a, a quick pick up and play casual game and your economy isn't that robust, I would say, you know, you definitely have to spend a lot of time looking at your ad strategy and getting pretty sophisticated around that. On the other side of the fence, if you've got those more immersive, uh, higher in-app purchase conversion type games, I think the, the advice I would give is to be very, very um, active around merchandising your players through in-app purchases. And I think, you know, what I'm seeing in general is a lot of publishers just sort of putting out these immersive games and putting that little button in the top corner for more currency, but really being very passive around, um, you know, how they're marketing to their players and getting them to make those in-app purchases. I think we need to be a lot more sophisticated around uh, offering players what they want when they need it. And I, I call that sort of merchandising, um, for lack of a better description. And, and would you say the, um, the freemium model in both casual and immersive, what, what's the percentage um, people should expect uh, of getting money based on download fees? Oh, on, oh, on download fee versus in-app purchase, you mean? Yeah, so straight off the bat, um, instead of getting the light version, you pay that 99 cents or whatever for the paid version. How would that sort of factor in sort of the, the, the ads in which casual games could, could expect 70% of it to be completely ad-based versus immersive, you're doing an in-app purchase merchandising strategy. But what about that third part of um, download um, fees? Paid downloads, yeah. So, I mean, we've generally seen a fairly strong trend away from initial paid download apps. Yep. Uh, there are exceptions. There's some great paid games out there that have done phenomenally well, like Plague and those kinds of games that have done really well at $0.99. Cents. Yep. Um, you know, we, we've done some experimenting uh, as a publisher a few years ago, and we recognized through a lot of... Uh, you know, measurement and analysis that with a with a casual type of game or even a deep immersive uh, freemium economy based game, you're likely to get ten times the audience and make three to five times more revenue off a free game than by charging ninety nine cents for your game. And that's because you know you just get such a smaller percentage of player or overall volume of players that are willing to pay ninety nine cents up front before they play a game. I think that's just the general consumer trend, right? I mean, we see it across all forms of entertainment, and that is that consumers want to be sure. It sounds ridiculous on some level because you're only talking about a dollar, right? But there's still this skepticism because there are so many apps and there are so many, um, you know, apps that didn't live up to consumer expectations around what they really were when they were only a dollar, that I think there's this general reluctance to pay money up front before you can tr before you try and experience a game and make sure it's for you even even at a dollar so i think that the volume of players that you can get from a free game like i said statistically you can get 10 times more players just by making your game free as opposed to charging 99 cents for it um so yeah i think we're, i think we've seen we're seeing less and less 99 cent games up front i've i've heard you know a lot of discussion lately around publishers moving back to a paid model and and getting rid of that sort of freemium in-app purchase economy or de-emphasizing that. And I think that that's 
more a reaction to these publishers not designing the right economies than it is a general trend. I think the free-to-play trend is here to stay, and I think 99-cent games are, uh, you know, the success stories are fewer and further between than true premium. Great. So great advice from the trenches with John Walsh, CEO of Fuse Power. We're Stay gonna tuned for break, more mobile power um, to commercial profit break. After Thank this you. Brief and please come back out. and join us to Mobile Power and Profit. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. All-Inclusive Marketing is the luxurious five-star resort of digital marketing. Welcome to All-Inclusive Marketing. Engage with All-Inclusive Marketing's award-winning strategists to ramp up your online profitability and brand exposure, driving new customer acquisitions, increased sales, and stronger buyer retention. Another mojito, please? All-Inclusive Marketing's full-service digital and performance marketing accommodates every brand, specializing in retail, travel, and software as a service. What a great room. The A in All-Inclusive Marketing means award-winning leadership, excellence and results, as well as an A rating by the Better Business Bureau. For reach, engagement and conversion, it's all-inclusive marketing. Reserve a free consultation today at allinclusivemarketing.com slash radio. Giving you the power to increase your profits. This is Mobile Power and Profit, presented by Rumble, only on webmasterradio.fm. Once again, here's Wen Tu. Welcome back to Mobile Power and Profit presented by Rumble. My name is Wen Tu and I'm joined by John Walsh from Fuse Power. So John, in our last segment, um, you gave great advice um, to game developers out there deep from the trenches um, as a publisher, but now as a um, founder of a company that provides um, a lot of developer tools. Um, You recently acquired Corona Labs. Um, and Corona's technology allows developers to build apps across multiple platforms, including iOS, Android, and Windows, using a single code base. So what do you think is so powerful about using a single code base to build apps these days? You know, I, think it com- I think it comes down to the fundamental trend or movement towards just simplicity. I mean, I, I think, as I was saying earlier, uh, nearly part of our talk, you know, being sophisticated around... Um, in-app purchases and your ad strategy and things like that, a lot of those things are are very complicated to do, but there are a lot of products like ours and others on the market that are trying to simplify those processes. I think the same can be said on the actual app development front, and I think that's what we really loved about Corona. Um, One of the things was that, yeah, you know, just developing games for the different platforms, there's a tedious side to it, which can 
just actually be eliminated through technology like Corona SDK. And I think that that's just one of those things that once it's out there, I mean, there's absolutely no point in spending the time trying to develop a native code for each of the platforms because, you know, it's just kind of a waste of effort. You know, I look at it like other industries where something was invented that just got rid of a tedious part of the process and then nobody ever looked back. So I think the advantage is just, you know, they're, they're, it's very difficult to make a great mobile game. And I think the more that companies like Corona um, and obviously our Fusebox and AdRally products as well can just make things simpler so these publishers can focus on making these great games and not have to worry about uh, the small details or minutiae. I, I heard someone once say, you know, in the restaurant industry, when you open a restaurant, nobody makes their own oven. Right, they they yeah. buy the ovens and restaurant equipment, and I kind of feel like that same uh, circumstance is true now. Where oh, you wouldn't write your own code to port a game from you know iOS to Android. You would just use a third-party solution or, or a native or a platform like Corona SDK to do that. And I think that's just where we've evolved to as an industry. So I I, I feel like there's intense debate about how. Um, do publishers really have this cross-platform development um, approach? Um, you know, two years ago, HTML5 was the answer. You know, Facebook fell for it, thought, you know, they were going to put all their mobile development resources behind it. Um, and a lot of companies have gotten burned once they realized um, sort of having a half-baked HTML5 uh, solution quite didn't work. And so now... There are a lot of folks who are very allergic to anything that sounds cross-platform because they can't really quite believe it because it's so hard. What what would you say to those folks or what's sort of your perspective seeing that people have been burned before um, and now they're sort of shy or cautious about trying to get on to the next thing that says that they're multi-platform? Yeah, you know what? I, th- I think the concerns are valid when it comes to HTML5, right? I think a lot of... Uh, you know, I, I'm not an engineer, so uh, but I think the the idea of a lot of that HTML5 uh, stuff still being a little bit half baked and being very very tedious to work with. I know a few uh, game publisher friends that are working in HTML5 and they found it very very difficult and challenging. And I think that that speaks to you know what HTML5 is really trying to do versus a purpose built solution like Corona SDK. And, you know, Walter and the team over at Corona, they built that from the ground up specifically to develop cross-platform apps. apps. It wasn't, you know, a web standard or, you know, browser technology was built specifically to allow publishers to do these kinds of things easier. So I would say they're, although conceptually you're right, it's the same philosophy, I think that they're very different solutions. And, uh, you know, Corona's had 35,000 apps created on it and... Published and so I, I think the the proof is in the pudding. In the case of Corona, it works. It works exceptionally well. There are tons of hit games that are built cross, uh, built with the Corona SDK. Whereas HTML5, I think we're still waiting for that. You know that hit use case and things like that. I just think it's still early uh, with with technologies like HTML5 versus Corona, which has been out for five years and is is very proven in the market. So I get the I get the resistance, but I think it's it's not really comparing uh, apples to apples, you know. Yeah. So going back to SDKs, um, uh, it's very developer driven, um, and I'm hearing in the market with a couple of Rumbles clients in which um, they have their um, in-house 
um, development team. And there are all these wonderful feature players um, and there's wonderful folks that does mobile backend as a service and, you know, all the platform as a service offerings. Um, but after a while, um, what we call integration fatigue sets in, in which yeah. in order to make this cross-platform, I actually have to integrate with 12 different um, third parties and they don't quite work together and it becomes um, a very clunky experience. Um, what do you think was Corona's um, winning formula to sort of um, get past that integration fatigue and have so many folks um, adopt their SDK? Well, you know, I, first of all, I think you really nailed one of the key challenges in the industry. And, you know, we, we call it SDK fatigue, and it's exactly as you've described. Um, I think Corona nailed it with the cross-platform, uh, you know, app development capabilities. And I think where, you know, where Fuse and Fusebox and AdRally really stepped in to, to address that same problem was from another perspective, which is, hey, you know, Corona said, hey, instead of developing on native and, and spending all this time trying to port your game over and having all these issues on different platforms, we're going to make that part of the equation really easy for you. And I think that that just resulted in, you know, mass adoption from the, from the community around building all these apps. Where we approached it from, obviously, prior to getting together with Corona was, hey, once you've made your app, you still have this massive SDK fatigue where, you know, you've got to be collecting analytics, you need things like push notifications, you want capabilities and tools like A-B testing, you want back-end storage, and then there's the whole ad issue where you've got to integrate all these different ad SDKs, you have to get them to work together, you have to create this ad waterfall to prioritize different networks and different games and different formats in different countries. And that, those are the problems that we looked at at Fuse to say, wow, you know, when we were publishing, we would literally have to put eight or 10 SDKs in the game. Like you said, even up to 12 or 15, depending on how many ad networks you're working with. That was after we developed the game and developed it on multiple platforms. And that's really what Fusebox and AdRally, which is one SDK that we released, is addressing. We just put in the one SDK, you have full analytics, you have all the tools, you have a complete uh, ad mediation solution, full ad waterfall capabilities, and it's literally one SDK. And so we talk about that all the time is, you know, you develop an app on Corona, for example, and, you know, we're making it very, very easy to put in the Fuse technology uh, at the moment right now. And literally you would, you would have either one SDK to build in. Uh, if you're Corona, you might not even have an SDK to build in because we're working at combining that technology. But even if you're a publisher working on a native code or a Unity or some of the other code bases that our partners work in, you just drop in the Fuse SDK and it, it gets rid of all that fatigue. It's all fully tested. All the ad networks work together. There's no memory leaks in these SDKs and you're good to go. It's a turnkey solution. I think that's why we've had so much success so quickly is because that pain point is very real and it's really, really you know, annoying for a publisher to have to understand which SDKs to put in and then get them all to work together. And that's part of what, what we're doing for our publishers. Yep, definitely. Having uh, uh, folks out there that really address um, SDK or integration fatigue is a major uh, uh, battle that lots of folks are um, doing in the mobile industry. Um, we're going to yeah. have to break to commercial right now, um, but please join us um, with uh, John Walsh from Fuse Power with Mobile Power and Profit. Stay tuned for more mobile power and profit after this brief profit timeout. 
Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PVC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. ShipStation helps online retailers ship orders faster. It's so easy to set up and use. ShipStation gives you tools to automatically import, manage, and ship your orders in the most cost-efficient way. Save money with the best USPS rates possible, as well as a free USPS account. ShipStation integrates with all the most popular e-commerce platforms and shipping carriers. Get shipping done no matter where you sell or how you ship. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash Webmaster Radio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. Giving you the power to increase your profits. This is Mobile Power and Profit, presented by Rumble, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Once again, here's Wen Tu. Welcome back to Mobile Power and Profit, presented by Rumble. My name is Wen Tu, and we are joined by John Walsh from Fuse Power. So, John, in the last segment, we really dove deep into to the technology issues that a lot of publishers and developers are facing. But I wanted to sort of turn our attention now to the consumers. Um, do you foresee major shifts to the way people interact with mobile games um, in the next year? Yeah, I do. I think that, um, you know, I, I think that the way consumers are... Well, I guess consumer expectations and what they're looking for out of their games, I think, is shifting. I think that the movement from a publisher perspective around addressing that is going to be around something that we call individual experience customization. Um, we obviously haven't come up with a really uh, <laughs> exciting catchphrase for it yet, but it's this, it's this concept around... Uh, you know, we now have so much data that we're collecting on these consumers as they're experiencing these games in real time. And part of the solution we brought to the table um, for publishers with Fusebox was the ability to understand how a player is playing and be able to deliver a game experience that suits their style or their preferred method of play. And uh, I think we're going to see that kind of trend continue. So as an example, I would say, you know, we have publishers in our system that have a racing game, and that pl the players get in and play their first handful of races, and, of course, we're measuring that performance. And after three or four races, we can get a good sense of how skilled or unskilled that player might be at that particular game in its standard configuration. 
And we can actually tweak and adjust that game difficulty in real time seamlessly for the player. So if a player gets in and loses their first couple races, we can either, you know, we can get in and, and simplify the opponents they're racing against. If they're exceptionally experienced at these types of racing games, then we can crank up the difficulty level behind the scenes to give that player a more satisfying experience. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of stuff. And I think, um, you know, the evolution on the part of the publishers is also going to come in the form of, uh, as we were talking about earlier, merchandising and not only giving players the experience they want, but giving them the things they want to buy when they need to buy them. And I would use the example of, you know, as I said before, the, the button in the top corner that says get more gems is a very passive, um, you know, merchandising tactic that a lot of players have just, you know, become immune to and they don't even notice it or they ignore it. But with, with our technology, we can detect when a player runs out of currency or whether they're sort of stuck or slowed down in the game. And we yeah. can offer them a contextual bundle that gets them through that particular point in the game. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of stuff in the future, that real-time uh, response to player needs. And I think, you know, we've, when we've done sales and conversion offers and things like that, we literally see five times the conversion as opposed to a more passive approach. So you can imagine not only the massively improved revenue potential that publishers can generate, but how much more engaged their players are when they bought the thing they need in the game because they've been told what to buy as they need it. And then they're much more engaged and satisfied with the game, so they play a lot longer, and ultimately they spend a lot more. Yeah. So it's always great to sort of hear about sort of what's in store for the new year and the sophistication that developers and publishers are going to have. But with the new year around the corner um, and New Year's resolution, you always want to make sure that what you plan is sort of achievable. Um, So as I hear you, what's the phrase? Um, Your eyes, um, the appetite of your eyes is bigger than your stomach. Um, You know, in the last last, um, um, segment, we talked about just building the same app across different platforms um, is really hard. There's SDK integration uh, fatigue. It's tedious. It's like hard enough just to build a good app so that someone would play it beyond that one-day retention versus I did all that and I'm going to customize and I'm going to do all this very sophisticated targeting. Um, it sort of feels like it's two ends of the spectrum happening at once. So, you know, parting thoughts from you as – People come up with their mobile strategy, New Year's resolution, knowing that um, reality is reality, dreams are dreams, but sort of what advice would you give, uh, like what's the appropriate um, portion they should be serving themselves as they think about their mobile strategy? Oh, that's a great question. I think, you know, I, I think I think my number one piece of advice from my heavily biased perspective is, is you know, let, let people help you. You know, I think... I think that there are some great, and you know, even outside of us, there's some great companies providing very, very valuable technology to make these publishers' lives easier. And I think, I think now publishers are moving to be better at what they need to be better at, right? Which is making great games that engage players, um, getting the monetization right, getting the ad strategy right getting the platform cross-development thing right. I think those are things that publishers are now increasingly able to outsource, right? So, uh, you know, my advice to publishers would be 
come up with a really cool, creative game. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just iterate a little bit on a successful formula or game mechanic, but be, you know, be engaging and exciting and, and deliver something that players are really going to like, figure out who your audience is, and then really spend the time executing on a great game experience. Yep. And then, you know, you can look at other providers to help you get it onto different platforms, to help you maximize ad revenue and ad placements, to help you maximize your merchandising and player segmentation efforts. But really get the game right, you know? And, and I say all the time to our publishing partners um, who go from independent developers all the way to big, sophisticated publishers that are releasing 50 games, it's, you know, get that little prototype beta going and pass it out to your friends and family. And if people are engaged and loving it within the first two to five minutes, then you have a core of something that can be great. And really just focus on that side of it. And I think if you can get that right, that's the, that's the foundation from which success can be built. And you can look to partners like us or others to help you with the rest of it. Well, well thank you so much, John. Uh, for joining our program. Great advice. Uh, Focus on the experience and outsource your infrastructure. Uh, Please, uh, thank you for joining us uh, on Mobile Power and Profit. Uh, I'm reminded to check us out on Facebook um, at www.facebook.com backslash mobile power and profit. You can also download the app um, and listen to our program on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, the App Store, and the Google Play Store. Thanks for joining us for Mobile Power and Profit presented by Rumble. You can send me questions and opinions at powerandprofit at rumble.me. Mobile is the future, so use it to power and increase your profits. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.